Good morning. Welcome to Laurel Heights. We meet here every first day of the week throughout the year to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. A reverential time of assembled worship referred to in the New Testament as the Lord's Day. We want to welcome our visitors and invite you back at 5 p.m. today and on Wednesday night Bible class at 7 and then again next week at these times. It's all about who Jesus is, what he did, where he is, and giving our lives to him, following the teachings of God's word. Now, all that I've just said takes us to the grace of God. It is by His mercy, love, and grace that Jesus came and lived and died and was raised for our justification. Because He lives, we are able to respond to Him and serve Him introduce others to him and be disciples of Christ day after day. The first Sunday in January this year, I started a series of what will be 12 sermons this year focused on the grace of God. Grace is God's to give, ours to receive. But grace isn't just something God gives. Grace is who God is. I hope it is clear all through this series that all truth about God exhibits His grace and calls for our obedient response of faith. But the grace of God, what does that mean? Why is there such emphasis on the grace of God all through the Bible? How does God's grace obligate me, motivate me, influence me? Is it just a salvation topic? How did Jesus exhibit <clears throat> and convey God's grace? These are not merely matters of academic interest. And that's why this series... A solid biblical understanding of the grace of God is crucial to our grasp of who God is, what He offers, what He expects of us, what we need from God, and how we respond to Him in such a way as to prepare for eternity. The grace of God is first introduced to us in Scripture in Genesis God didn't have to do all that he did in preparing the earth and in making human beings in his image. And then as I preached in February, God's grace is truth that Noah found and responded to as the flood approached. In March, how Joshua and his army became recipients of God's grace in Jericho. It is important, I believe, to see how God's grace was active and known and available all through time and now 
is active and known and available to us through Jesus Christ. I take us this morning to the book of Psalms. Psalms 121 will be where we'll start. Many of us, I think, have formed the good habit of returning to the book of Psalms periodically. Outside of our daily Bible reading plan or classwork, there's just something about Psalms that invites our repeated attention. What is it? Is it the frequent occurrence of valuable themes like worship and prayer? Is it the useful insight that we gain about the interesting and varied life of those narratives about David? There are prophecies of Christ in the book of Psalms. There are beautiful descriptions of God, passages that warn us and teach us and give us examples that carry great lessons, lessons for us. What is the attraction? For me, what this portion of Scripture says about who God is, that's the part that invites me back again and again to these pages, the book of Psalms. I've said in this series that grace is God's to give and ours to receive. Grace, it can be said, is about who God is. Generous, merciful, responsive to our need. And I've selected four passages from Psalms for this morning where God's grace is vividly portrayed for us. 121. This is one of several psalms called Songs of Ascent, meaning as the people went up, as they went up to worship, or as they were going home from captivity, these songs or psalms gave them good focus on their dependence on God and their gratitude and praise to Him. Let's listen to this and pay good attention to how this captures the grace of God. Psalms 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I think three words express how this passage speaks to us of the grace of God. We need help. We need help. We encounter trouble that we cannot fix. 
There are storms we have difficulty navigating. There are thoughts and moods and dread and despair we can't seem to manage or throw off easily. Challenges and duties and weakness and confusion and doubt. We need to be kept. We need help that only God can provide. Without God and His grace, we could never be what we were made to be. This reality that we face, the trouble around us that seems to swallow us, it all says we need help, and the help we need isn't here on the earth. We are tempted and tried and disappointed. There is pain and sorrow and fear, tension and impatience. We need help. God provides in Christ perfectly and lovingly the help we need. That's grace. It's here in Psalms 121. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord will keep me from all evil. The Lord will keep my going out and your and my coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is a psalm of grace, of God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The truth in this passage should cause us to respond to God. By faith that is active, to be glad and grateful recipients of God's grace, to worship, to open His Word prayerfully, to use His Word to examine our thoughts, our words, our reflections. One more thing about this in Psalm 121. Human beings, men and women on earth, may not always be there to help us in our adversity may not be aware of what we're going through. Friends are sometimes not responsive, not faithful, even a hindrance, sometimes not gracious or not present. The psalmist says, I will lift my eyes to the mountains from whence shall my help come. My help comes from God. This is about God's grace. Similar to a statement in Psalm 69, 1 and 2. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Sometimes we are just up to our necks. And the floods around us engulf us. The Lord can keep us from going under. Turn to Psalm 130. 130. Again, from the same section in the book of Psalms, the Songs of Ascent. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord... O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, 
that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with Him there is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all of their iniquities. You know, it may be that most people, even Christians, do not like this word iniquity. You know, it, it sounds better to say, well, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. We may resist using those Bible words that are stronger. Iniquity, wickedness, abomination, or evil. But this psalm raises a valuable question. What if God put a mark against us for each sin, each shortcoming, and the mark was permanent? Could never be removed. No way to erase it. No means of pardon or atonement. This is one of those passages in the Bible that should drive us to confession that is penitent and humble. Because not only does the 130th Psalm speak of iniquity being marked, it speaks of iniquity being forgiven. That's grace. Verse 4 with God there is forgiveness. This is about hope for sinners, redemption for Israel, that God hears the pleas of the penitent, those who acknowledge their iniquity, call it what it is, and with our patient trust in God and response to Jesus Christ, we are delivered, and that's by His grace. Some of the Psalms that speak of grace in response to sin are like rungs on a ladder. And David and other sinners speak of their sin and there's desperation, a cry for mercy, an expectation of a response, penitence, forgiveness, then cleansing that would not be present without the grace of God. Whatever my shortcoming, deficiency, immaturity, overt sin, sinful attitude, self-righteousness, with God there is forgiveness for those who are penitent. Psalm 98. 98. I spoke earlier of how we love the Psalms. Well, there is a New Testament book that we love, Philippians. And one attraction is the joy of being a child of God. There is some of that in Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. There's grace. He has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. 
He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. That's grace. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Please remember, we're in the Old Testament. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. When we read the Old Testament that contained the Mosaic Law, and we read the narratives of the Israelites, the journeys and battles and sufferings, we may form a picture of utterly depressed, angry, exhausted people who were virtually incapable of any joy. Yet we know from passages like this, faithful people who were really committed to the Lord had the joy that we have over in Philippians. They would sing songs of praise, perhaps not always the majority, but always a faithful remnant singing praise to God. And this is the psalm from which we get that refrain, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, unlike the essential prominence of voice in the New Testament, Back then, instruments were used and those who really knew of God's grace in every way they could would express their praise for God. Verse 2, the Lord has made known his salvation. Verse 3, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And here's an image for you. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills Sing for joy together. And then Psalm 56. Psalm 56. I'll read verses 8 through 13 in just a moment. Here is one of those cases tied to the history of David and his life. At the time when David was under attack... And he came to a point where he knew he couldn't trust man. In fact, he says, he was being trampled underfoot by men. And he says he was afraid. The backdrop of many of the Psalms is David's distress. And he says here, as long as I trust in God, I'm not afraid. What can man do to me? Now, of course, God is more powerful than man, higher than man. But one part of this truth here, God has grace and compassion absent in the typical human being. God is so close and willing and ready to uphold his people in their distress. Would you listen to verses 8 to 13? You have kept count of my tossings. 
put my tears in your bottle? Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings for you have delivered my soul from death. My feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Not only is God willing to forgive us our sin through our response to Christ, He comforts us from those who sin against us. That's like a double portion of grace, isn't it? Where God saves us from sin, but He also comforts us and gives us strength when sinners oppose us. God's grace is multidimensional. It is exactly what we need in life. And all through the Psalms, the truth about who God is can stir up our interest in being closer to Him. So I commend to you the book of Psalms and encourage you to read the Psalms and let these hymns of trust and praise show you and remind you of how gracious God is. I tell you this, folks, we need help. No one here is fully grown. Nobody here is a finished work of righteousness. Not one of us have mastered the truth that's in the Psalms. We need God in His grace. We do not merit, we have not earned His approval. All this truth from Psalms and everywhere in Scripture should lead us to make certain we are living lives dependent on His grace that expresses itself in diligence, personal discipleship, and the hope that is attached to discipleship. When we talk about the grace of God, we need to address those who are not living in His grace. People who may recognize that God is above all. They may have confidence in the Bible as His Word. They know Jesus is the Son of God. They recognize that they have iniquity in their lives. They're disobedient. They know that Christ is the solution. And these people have heard over and over what the response ought to be. Hearing the gospel, believing, confessing faith in Christ, repenting of your sin, being baptized, and then walking in newness of life. You can begin that walk this morning as we stand together and as we sing.